just wanted to let you know, as I mentioned this morning, we are grateful for uh, the one church in two locations, and one of the benefits of that is our preaching team. And this morning, Justin Joseph is going to be coming and uh, bringing God's word to you. Some of you may not know, Justin actually serves as one of our deacons here at Mount Hope. Um, but he also, uh, as a, in addition to the preaching team, since he last was here, he's expanded some of his responsibilities in Belmont, and he's really become uh, kind of a right-hand man for Pastor Brian there, and uh, leading and hosting the service. Uh, so we actually took uh, Belmont's worship leader and one of their preachers here this morning, so pray for Pastor Brian, as uh, I'm sure everything's going great over in Belmont, but we are grateful for Justin and Owen uh, for being a part of Mount Hope and all the blessing that you guys are to the church, and glad to have you here this morning. So would you welcome Justin as he comes to to preach this morning. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Pastor Rick, for that introduction. I do hope to get a chance to meet each of you, or at least many of you, before we leave today. And it really is a joy to be a part of this church family for these past 11 years. My wife, Alyn, and I, uh, we think it's one of the biggest blessings in our lives to be a part of Mount Hope. And so while we don't get to see each other every week, it really is great to see you all this morning. If you do have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel, chapters 16 and 17. If you want to just leave a thumb right there so you can access it easily, we'll be in 1 Samuel, chapter 16 and 17. As Pastor Rick mentioned, we're starting a new sermon series where we're asking this question, how does God prepare people? Now, while we dive into this topic this morning, I hope each of you will take a minute right here from the beginning of this series to ask this question of yourselves. What is God asking me to do, and how is he preparing me to do it? One more time, how, what is God asking me to do, and how is he preparing me to do it? I think what you'll find over these next few weeks is that sometimes God does not prepare people the way we may think he should prepare people. He sometimes doesn't use the obvious, but he uses the obscure to, prevent, to prepare people. And this morning, we'll have a chance to look at someone just like that. This morning, we're going to learn or we're going to study about the greatest underdog in history. The time in history when a young boy, a young man, a nobody, went up against the biggest giant of his era and brought that giant down when two nations and the future of millions of people were hanging in the balance. This young man, this underdog of all underdogs, takes down a giant and saves the world. Of course, I'm talking to you this morning about... Actually, I was talking about Rocky IV is what I was talking about. <laughs> But that other story is a pretty good one, too, and I hope we'll get to that at some point today. If you haven't seen the film Rocky IV, imagine a 13-year-old boy growing up in New Jersey watching for the first time and wondering how would the Cold War end and knowing that it was all on the shoulders of Rocky Balboa as he went up against the giant Ivan Drago from Russia. And my entire world was filled with this excitement of who will win? Will it be the United States? Will it be Russia? Will it be Rocky? Will it be Drago? And all of this under, the, under the, the cover of the great underdog versus the giant. At the end of the movie, if you haven't seen it, it's only been out for like 35 years, but <laughs> if you haven't seen it, America wins, Rocky wins, the world goes crazy over this glorious moment when the underdog beats the giant. 
But here's the part that some of us often overlook. For two hours in that film, you are brought into the world of Rocky as he is preparing for the fight of his life. As he is preparing, as he trains rigorously through the mountains of Siberia, as he is getting his body and his mind ready for the biggest fight of his life, he is getting ready. He gets ready in an obvious way. He goes and exercises, he lifts weights, he gets physically ready for this fight. But this morning, we're also going to look at the second biggest underdog story in history, the one you guys mentioned, David and Goliath, this morning. How did God get, read, get David ready for Goliath? How did he prepare this young man, a 17-year-old shepherd boy, get him ready for the biggest fight of not only his life, but the lives of so many others who were hanging in the balance as two nations met on a hillside one day and a giant, a nine and a half foot tall giant came out and challenged the people of God and a fight would ensue. How did God get David ready for that moment? That's what we're going to take a look at this morning. But I think it's important for us to first take a look at David's life very quickly to see how he got to this point. Because the truth is, God did not prepare David suddenly. It wasn't a, hey, David, show up to the battlefield and get ready to take on a nine and a half foot champion. It was years and years of preparation in obscurity to get David ready for this moment. Let's rewind a little bit as I unravel this story for us today. God had assigned a man named Samuel to oversee his people. Samuel was a prophet. He was a judge. He was the leader or the known leader of Israel at the time. Samuel was in charge of everything when it came to hearing from God and speaking to the people. But as Samuel was aging, the elders and the leaders of Israel came to Samuel and said, Look, Samuel, we know that you are quite old at this point, and we don't have a succession plan in place. Your sons who are supposed to come after you, they're corrupt. They take bribes. They are bad people. They're in no position to take on your role. So Samuel, give us a king like the nations around us. And God, as well as Samuel, speak immediately to the people and say, wait a second, I don't think you understand what you're asking for here. A king will tax you. A king will draft your young men into war. A king will bring your young women into his palace. A king will become a king and act like a king, and you will not be happy about that. But the people kept saying, Samuel, give us a king like the other nations around us. And so God relents and gives them a king, a man named Saul who rises to the kingship, a man named Saul who over a short period of time completely turns his back on God and God's spirit leaves him. And now we're at that same crossroad again. Who will take his place? Who will be the next in line when it comes to becoming the king of Israel? And it's at this time that an elderly Samuel is called to go to the house of a man named Jesse in the city of Bethlehem to anoint the next king. Now that's important because a couple of thousand years later, another king would be born in that city as well. And David was the youngest son, the eighth son of eight boys that were born to Jesse. And Samuel walks into the room and he looks at the oldest son of Jesse and he's about to anoint him the next king because he fits the part. He looks the role. And God immediately says, no, that's not him. I have not chosen him to be king. And one after another, God rejects the sons of Jesse until he finally asks the question. Samuel asks Jesse, 
do you have any more sons? Is there anyone else? And Jesse responds in an almost clumsy way. He says, oh yes, there is one more, the youngest. He is tending the sheep at this time. So now we know where David has been throughout this story. David is being prepared for the fight of his life in obscurity. David is out tending sheep while the decision of the next king is being made. So David comes back into the house. Samuel in front of David's brothers and his father. Samuel pours oil upon David's head and anoints him the next king of Israel. Now the question begs to be asked. What happens next? Does God just suddenly elevate David to the throne the next day? Does he take David from that moment and make him king the next day? Now, if you and I were preparing a king, what would we do? Let me be honest. All of us would think we should put him through some sort of royal internship program. We should make him assistant to the regional king or something like that before he becomes king. We should have some sort of associates program. He's got to learn finance. He's got to learn military strategy. He's got to learn taxation. He's got to learn all of governance before he can be king. Instead, what God does is he sends him back into the wilderness to go tend some sheep again. Here's the thing about how God prepares people and how we often prepare people. We prepare people with obvious tasks for obvious jobs. But God prepares people in obscurity. When no one is watching, when there is no eye upon you, God prepares his people there. And so this morning, I want to unpack for you three things that God was doing in David's life in preparation. In the season between his anointing and Goliath, what was God doing in David's life during that time? Three things. And the first thing I believe that God was doing in David's life was he was allowing him to be overlooked, to be overlooked. If you look at the story of David, it's one person after another overlooking him. Samuel walks into Jesse's house and he doesn't even consider David because he sees this other brother. Jesse doesn't consider David because he's got seven other sons. Oh yes, I have another son out in the wilderness right now. When David goes to battle against Goliath, it's his oldest brother in 1 Samuel 17 who curses him and tells him, you don't belong here. He is overlooked time and time and time again. And then it comes to 1 Samuel 17 where David finally tells Saul, the king, put me into the battle. I can fight Goliath. And Saul replies like this in verse 33, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior since his youth. David is overlooked over and over and over again. In 1 Samuel 17, he's overlooked by the king. He's overlooked by the enemy as well. It says like this, that Goliath looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Goliath said to David, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David was constantly overlooked in his life. But how many of you know that there is a response to being overlooked that often happens? Some of you sitting here right now have been overlooked in your lives. 
overlooked at work, overlooked in your family, overlooked when it came to moments where you thought you should have stepped in and you were overlooked. You were rejected, a door was closed, and you're sometimes asking, God, why would this happen to me? Because here's the natural reaction to being overlooked. You either feel sorry for yourself or you get angry at the person who overlooked you. But God was doing something in David's life that he would need later in life. He was allowing David to be overlooked so that he could develop in David a God perspective. A perspective of God that was so different than the average person. In fact, here's how the Bible says that King Saul and the people of Israel responded when they saw Goliath taunting them. It says there like this in chapter 17 that Saul and his armies were dismayed and terrified when they saw the giant. But David was offended when he saw the giant. David had a God perspective that came about from being overlooked over and over again. He didn't get feel sorry for himself. He didn't get angry with the people who overlooked him. He simply trusted God more when people overlooked him. Right now, some of us are being prepared in this way. We're overlooked. We're obscure. No one sees us. No one knows about us. No one cares about us seemingly. And we're constantly overlooked. And God is preparing you in this season to trust him more. Not to get angry at the people who overlooked you. Not to feel sorry for yourself, but to trust him more. I should be there. I should be the one doing that. And you feel overlooked. And here is God reminding you, even if everyone else stops seeing you, I still see you. I know you, David. I know where you are. And in this season of being overlooked, I need you to trust me more. What is God doing in your season of being overlooked? What is he training in you and teaching in you during this time? Because this same David would one day write like this in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me. He gave his ear to me. He drew me up out of the miry pit, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he made my feet secure. That's the same David who was overlooked by even his own family. It doesn't matter that you're overlooked right now by man as long as God sees you, and you can see what God is doing in that season of your life. But it wasn't just that David was overlooked. I think God was doing something else in his life as well. David was overlooked, but he was also isolated a lot. He was by himself a lot. God prepared David, as he did with so many other people, in isolation, alone, by himself. We said it before. Jesse responds to Samuel by saying, I, there is still the youngest. He is tending the sheep. David justifies his own existence to Saul a little bit later by saying, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. I want you to think about this for a second. Of all the lonely jobs in the world, of all the isolated jobs in the world, is there one more isolated than being a shepherd? For weeks at a time, you would be out either in the desert, the wilderness, a pasture area, and you are by yourself with a bunch of creatures. But what can God do in isolation? What can he do when you're alone? He did it in the life of Paul. He did it in the life of Moses. Even Jesus himself was often isolated alone with his father. Why? Because in isolation, God prepares you to trust him more through that one-on-one connection of being with the father. What is God doing in this lonely time, in this alone period of your life? What is he teaching and training inside of you? 
Because I've heard it put like this. If you look at David's life, it's really peculiar because he is anointed king and then he takes a step back. He goes back to being a shepherd. And then he goes back to being a deliverer of food for his brothers. And then he becomes an armor bearer. And it just keeps feeling like he's going back further and further. But a writer put it like this. The further back you pull an arrow, what happens? The stronger it goes forward. And David was pulled further and further back in his life because God was preparing him in isolation with God. So I imagine what that would be like. Imagine being a shepherd sitting in a field and you are alone with God. Every single day you have the opportunity to feel sorry for yourself and hate your situation. Or you can take this ordinary situation and see God in the middle of that situation. David every day got to look up and see the stars in the sky and say things like this. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies show forth his handiwork. David understood that there is something more amazing than me in this world and he is at work in my life right now. David got to see the glory of God. He got to show up to work faithfully every day and do what he was told to do. He was consistent in that. He was learning how to be faithful in the midst of all of that. He was learning to play an instrument during that time. He was learning to write music during that time. Music that we sing even to this very day. Songs like, oh God, you are my God, earnestly will I seek you. My soul longs for you in a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water. David was learning the skills that God needed him to learn in isolation. Even the skill of using a sling and a stone was being learned in isolation. Alone with God. But I think more than all of those skills, David was learning something far more important. He was learning to trust God. Here's what happens when you become king. When you become king, you realize you're king. And God needed David, a man after his own heart, to one day not just become, to to one day elevate to the throne, but for David to understand that while you may be a king, David, there is still the king that you report to. And David got it. He understood it. If you look throughout his life, and make no mistake, David makes a lot of mistakes. But even when he makes these mistakes, he runs back to God in those moments because he understood and he was never confused. While I may be a king, I am not the king. And the king still is in control in my life and in this, in the lives of these people. We get confused about who God is in isolation sometimes, but isolation also brings us back to understand who the king is. There was a reflex being built in David's life. I call it the God reflex. No matter what the situation was, no matter what happened, David's reflex was to turn to God. Good times, he turned to God. Sin, he turned to God. Great times and bad times, he turned to God. It was a reflex. Like a sprinter who as soon as he hears the gun, that muscle starts twitching in his legs and he's off. It was a reflex. When something happens, I reflex towards God. What reflexes are are, are God developing in your life right now in your times of isolation? What is he developing in you? Would another 80s movie reference help you with this? As a teenager growing up in New Jersey, this was a movie. Daniel LaRusso is a teenager from New Jersey who goes on to win the All-Valley National Karate Championship. In the movie The Karate Kid, you remember there was a great victory at the end, just like we see with David and Goliath. But there's also extensive training and preparation that takes place as well. 
preparation like this. If you remember Mr. Miyagi and Daniel, they come together and Miyagi is training Daniel by teaching him to wax a car in a certain motion over and over again. To paint a fence in a certain motion over and over again. And that motion is what ultimately trains his muscles to sand a floor over and over again in certain ways. And before Daniel realizes it, he has learned to move his body in a certain way as a result of any stimulus that comes against him. This is kind of how God is training David, developing David in isolation to have a God reflex. When something good comes, look to God. When something bad comes, look to God. It's the reflex that David is developing in isolation. And this morning, I ask that question of you again. What is God preparing you to do? And how is he doing the preparation? Because he's going to need you to have a God reflex, to trust him more in those moments. Because let's be honest, if he was going to, tra to train you or prepare you to have joy in your life, would he send you to a bunch of classes about joy? If he was going to train you to be patient and long-suffering with someone else, would he send you to listen to a bunch of sermons on the topic? I think he would put you in ordinary situations where he could develop that skill within you. Recently, my wife and I, we decided to change cell phone providers, and it was a disaster of a situation. Uh, for over 11 hours, we sat on the phone with a company. Now, I don't want to badmouth a company, so we'll just call this company KT&T. That way, you'll never know who I'm talking about. <laughs> so KT&T and I are on the phone a lot, and over 11 hours, I get hung up on, or the line gets disconnected multiple times. And the frustration is building, the anger is building, and I can't wait to take it out on the next person. <laughs> Could God be using that moment to teach me to be patient? Could God be using the ordinary, mundane, menial moments of my life to develop me into who he wants me to be? I say absolutely yes. Could he be using your job and the people at work and your bosses could he be using your family members, even the difficult ones, to develop you into who he wants you to be? Could he be using your commute? Could he be using your school, your classmates, your teachers, to develop you into who he wants you to be and to prepare you for the role he has called you to? Absolutely. But the problem is we often ignore that or don't see it because it's not the big obvious preparation. Jeff Mannion, a pastor and a writer, he puts it like this, the remarkable life is built by taking a thousand unremarkable steps. The remarkable life is built by taking a thousand unremarkable steps. Going to work consistently, being faithful there. Taking care of your family and being faithful there. Going and loving people that God has put in your life and being faithful there. Those things seem so ordinary but in David's life, it was watching sheep that God used to train a king. What is he doing with your life and my life then? He put David around sheep so that he could learn to trust God in any situation. And you'll see that in just a moment. Because here's the truth about David here for a second. He gets overlooked, he gets isolated, and he also is constantly outmatched. Outmatched. When Saul and David have this interaction with each other in 1 Samuel 17, David needs to justify to Saul why he should be put into the battle. And, God, and that God reflex takes over in David. 
the God perspective takes over in David, and this is what he says. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. Let's stop there for a second. Think about what he's saying. Every other shepherd in their right mind would stop and protect the other sheep or run from the sheep at that point. David says like this to Saul, when an enemy came towards my father's sheep, I did not care because I knew who was with me when I was in the wilderness. I went after the lion. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Even David's trash talk points to God. Do you see how overwhelmed his God perspective and his God reflexes? It's all consuming in David's life. That didn't just happen when he showed up the day he fought Goliath. For years, God had been developing that in David's life, putting him in situations where he shouldn't win, putting him in illogical situations where there is no chance that you could do this on your own. So what happens when you're in situations when you can't do this on your own? God suddenly steps in and reminds you to trust me, I can do it. And some of you right now are outmatched in the situations you're in in life. You don't know how to face this situation you're in right now. And God is reminding you this morning, I prepare people in places where there is no chance they could succeed on their own. That's where I often prepare people. So whether you feel overlooked or isolated or outmatched, God prepares in these ordinary situations. Psalm 27, David himself writes like this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Even if my evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies surround me, I will not fear. They will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me. Even then will I be confident. How does David do that? In isolation, in moments of being overlooked, in moments of being outmatched, his trust was in God. That's what was being developed in him, a supernatural trust in God, and that's why he was never confused. Even if I become a king, I will never be the king. And until then, David knew that until that moment I ascend to the throne, I need to learn what God is doing in me and developing in me. Many of you know this through experience in your own life. God doesn't always use the obvious. Sometimes he uses the obscure, the ordinary, the mundane, the usual stuff. What is God doing through the usual stuff in your life, the ordinary places of your life? Because in some way, he's developing your trust in something. You're either trusting yourself more, or you're learning to trust God more in those situations. God prepares people in obscurity to trust him more. This is how I would put it. God often puts us in ordinary situations to develop an extraordinary trust in him. Ordinary situations, everyday situations, situations that might seem like God has no connection to them. He doesn't care what I do in this moment. But I ask you today, is God using your job to develop in you leadership abilities, to develop in you public speaking skills or financial stewardship so that you can bless his, his kingdom in some way? 
Is he using the people in your lives, the relationships that are there to build the network and the connections that will one day bring him the most glory? Is he doing that in just an obscure way? Friends that you talk to at work, coworkers, is he doing it that way? Is he using this season where you're alone a lot more so that you can be spending more time in his presence and storing up word in your heart so that you can use it in the right season? Is he using this time where you're watching your children or your grandchildren and developing a childlike faith in you and reminding you about what God has given you to steward? What is he doing in the seemingly ordinary moments of life and what is he preparing you for with those things? I think we often disconnect what God is doing with our ordinary lives because we think God only works by parting the Red Sea. That's not true. He prepared a king in a wilderness. And I think this for many of us, this is what we have to ask ourselves. What is God asking me to do and how is he preparing me for it? A show of hands, how many of you have a gift card in your wallet or your purse right now that you would like to pass up to me? No, how many of you have, how many of you have a gift card? Show, yeah, you can keep your hands up. Very high. Keep your hands up. How long has that gift card been in your wallet? If it's been more than six months, keep your hand up. If it's more than a year, keep your hands up. More than two years, keep your hands up. More than five years? You must be really hoping for Toys R Us to come back or something, right? <laughs> Five years. Anyone more, more than 10 years? Okay, good. <laughs> what happened there? What is it about keeping a gift card for too long? Right? Here's the thing about gift cards. Someone selected that card. Someone filled it with capability and ability. And then it went unused. Do you see how often this is the story of our lives? God selects us. God gives us experiences and ways to prepare us and train us and give us capability, and then we never use them. We're unused gift cards sitting in someone's wallet or someone's purse. God has empowered you. God has given you experiences. God has given you wisdom and the ability to handle tough situations because he's brought you through so many in the past. But when it comes time to using it, we just keep it in our pocket and never use it. Ask yourself this day, what was God doing through those moments of obscurity in your life? That season of loneliness, that season of being overlooked, that season of being isolated, that season of being outmatched. What was God doing? Because here's what God was doing in David's life. One day, his father calls him in from being a shepherd and says to him, David, I need you to go out to the fields and bring some food to your brothers. And David does. Consistent and faithful, David goes. He brings food to his brothers, and while he's coming up to the area of where his brothers are lined up for battle, there is an army on one hill, and his brother's army is on the other hill, and there's a valley in between. And as David is approaching, a nine and a half foot tall man walks out into the the valley, and he starts to taunt and chant at the armies on the other side. David hears it, and his God reflex kicks in right away. The God reflex that's been developed in obscurity for years starts to kick in. He doesn't see the situation for what it looks like. He doesn't see a short 17-year-old against a nine and a half foot tall giant. He sees a nine and a half foot tall giant against an almighty God is what he sees. That's a different perspective. 
And he uses this perspective to march into the valley. He gets the permission to go into battle. And using the training that he had in his life, the training with the sling, the training with the stone, but more importantly, a trust in an all-powerful God, David walks into that battle that day. And the closer Goliath comes to him, the angrier Goliath gets. But the more David runs at him, David starts to twirl that sling, and with one stone, he knocks down that giant, and he wins the victory for God that day. How does that happen? It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen in the moment. It took years of preparation for a 17-year-old boy to go and fight against the champion of Gath and bring him down. So what is God doing in your life today? What is he preparing you for in the future? This same David would write some of the most incredible parts of Scripture, the songs and the poems that we sing to this day from the book of Psalms. Many that I've already read today, but others like this that say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. He would write things like, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. He would say things like this, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Never let me be put to shame. Let not my enemies triumph over me. He would say things like, some trust in chariots and horses, but I, I will trust in the name of the Lord my God. And this same boy, developed in obscurity, would one day write, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. And there's a part in that section of scripture where he says like this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David faced Goliath in a valley and he knew Death cannot stop the God that I serve. Nothing can stop the God that I serve. And that was a trust that was developed in obscurity. As our worship team comes back up this morning and as we close out, I ask you today to ask that question. What is God asking me to do? And how is he preparing me to do it? It may not be the obvious way that you're expecting. It may be in obscurity. It may be through a season of being overlooked, through a season of being isolated, through a season of being seemingly outmatched, that God could be preparing you for what he's calling you to do. Because I do believe this, that God will place us in ordinary situations to develop on us an extraordinary trust in him. Here's the thing I love the most about David's story and something that we can all learn from. David defeats Goliath The nations sing songs about him. He is worshipped for leading the Israelite army to the greatest victory they may have ever known. So does David ascend to the throne the next day? There's almost 13 more years that David goes on the run, constantly overlooked, isolated, and outmatched. And not once does David lose his trust in God. Why? Because that was developed in obscurity. No one can take that from him. What is God developing in your life? And how is he doing it? Let's not be ignorant to the way God's God's developing each of us. Will you close your eyes and bow your heads this morning as we close? God, I thank you for every heart that is here right now. Every heart that longs to know what it is that you plan for us. 
And God, while we can't wait for the big victory, the big battle, and the great celebration that follows it, Lord, let us not be ignorant to the preparation that's taking place right now, how you are developing us in obscurity. Lord, I pray for my friend, my brother, my sister right now who is feeling like I'm completely overlooked, that I'm in this terrible season of loneliness, that I'm completely outmatched in the situation I'm facing right now. God, please remind them that you developed a king in those same scenarios and that you can do the same in us today. Lord, I pray your healing in those places that we need that healing. God, I pray your presence in those areas where people just simply need to know that you're there. You never left David in the preparation and we know you won't do it for us. God, minister to us now as we worship you and as we go this week. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you with a God perspective and a God reflex, knowing, God, that you will use ordinary situations to develop in us an extraordinary trust in you. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.